that you can see as companies grow, as they go from the next stage of maturity, they start hiring different tiers of salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, it is very canned scripts. Um, I actually had one uh, very large security company uh, explained to me the history of cloud computing in a pitch deck. And I was like, this is not the time to do this. Um, I don't know why you wasted so many slides on this. I didn't say this. I was thinking this, um, but you, you, that's how I knew I'm like, okay, you guys have missed the mark. You, you have now turned this into mm. like a, an oiled machine, um, that is all about numbers and throughput and like leads captured a day. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong. You, I know be, you being one of those numbers, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm a number. It's very important for me to take the meeting for your metrics. And I understand they have a job to do as well too, but I can, that's one I can usually tell like, all right, you probably don't even understand if my, you know, what I, what my company does or what, where position I'm at is even a good fit for your, your product. You've just had success selling to buyer personas like me. This is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship and everything in between. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., Chief Information Security Officer. And today, our guest is Mike Privet, both CISO and author of the popular security-funded newsletter. Welcome to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on your guest. Thanks for coming out, Mike. Yeah, we're really excited to have this conversation. You occupy many vantage points uh, and have an interesting view that we really want to get into. But first, let's hear your origin stories. How did you get into cyber? Yeah, I would say uh, my origin story is probably different than than many in that I, I backed in uh, by way of actually IT auditing, uh, believe mm. it or not. Um when I was to show my age a bit, when I first got out of college, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley was all the rage. So financial <laughs> controls and Enron and money, you know, mismanagement. Uh, and so every accounting firm in the world was hiring IT people to do mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and so I happened to be one of those people. Uh, they hired me to do random IT things. And I sort of got my start in, uh, in small regional banks, just doing a lot of IT control testing, financial control testing with, when it came to technology, uh, we kind of saw an opening and the, Hey, there's a lot more we could ask you about like, you know, change management or some basic mm. it practices. And that, that kind of led into security and pen testing and, um, war driving and war dialing, all that fun stuff. Um, and so I, I effectively, uh, audited my way, uh, into security and read a lot of documentation <laughs> called a lot of support desk, uh, then finally jumped to the other side where I could ask the questions uh, or I could answer the questions as opposed to being asked them all the time. Nice. That's a, that's a interesting story. We hadn't heard that one before. So. <laughs> yeah. Unique. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, you are on the CISO side, so I'll kick us off. Um, we start with the bare knuckles part of the show, which we like to call the airing of grievances. <laughs> and as I said before, you occupy a unique vantage point, both as CISO, which is buyer of things and prospecting target. Um, but you're also an observer of the market. And um, so I'm interested to take what are some of the common mistakes or pitfalls that you keep seeing vendors fall into and, you know, examples might be they scale their sales teams way too fast, or they're sort of developing their product in a vacuum, or they maybe take too much money in funding rounds too early. Just kind of get your general read from wearing both those hats. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. And there's, there's a lot of nuance that goes with it. Um, 
you know, I would say, uh, honestly, prior to 2022 or mid-2022, there was the traditional model of take a lot of VC money, uh, mm-hmm. ramp sales as fast as possible, and then you'll find product market fit, and then somebody will be a buyer, and then most people will buy, and then you can just like scale that like infinitely until IPO. Um, you know, that took a very hard nosedive mid-2022 when rates uh, went through the roof and money was no longer free and yeah. overhiring was was now out of, out of vogue. Um, and you saw a lot of companies really struggle with that and they had to do a lot of reductions uh, because they were not selling as fast as their burn rate was taking them down. Mm-hmm. Um, but that had been a kind of pretty traditional story for a lot of cyber companies as they um, especially those selling to, I'm going to air quote, enterprise uh, customers. Um, there's like a playbook of sorts that they like to run through that um, that you can see as companies grow, as they go from the next stage of maturity, they start hiring different tiers of salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very canned scripts. Um, I actually had one uh, very large security company uh, explained to me the history of cloud computing in a pitch deck. And I was like, this is not the time to do this. Um, I don't know why you wasted so many slides on this. I didn't say this. I was thinking this, um, but you, you, that's how I knew I'm like, okay, you guys have missed the mark. You, you have now turned this into mm. like a, an oiled machine, um, that is all about numbers and throughput and like leads captured a day. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong. You, I know be, you being one of those numbers, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm a number. It's very important for me to take the meeting for your m- metrics. And I understand they have a job to do as well too, but I can, that's one I can usually tell like, all right, you probably don't even understand if my, you know, what I, what my company does or what, where position I'm at is even a good fit for your, your products. You've just had success selling to buyer personas like me. And so that's, yeah. that's, that's a, definitely a big challenge. Yeah. That always wakes them up when the, the prospect actually pays attention. So they're <laughs> not just trying to cover their own asses. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and, and similar on that vein too, um, you know, a common mistake I see is that um, many, many uh, companies will kind of assume you have a base level of knowledge and you have a base uh, problem set. Then they believe Mm -hmm. it's a universal problem set. So you might say like, I mean, everybody has trouble ingesting data from their data lake into this, right? And while that may be true, like that's, for a lot of companies, that's not true for everyone. Um, You know, many smaller companies, which is where I've been working the past several years, we can't afford, you know, these high, uh, expensive tools. We can't afford multiple sets like this. So you have to make do in different ways. You have to get very creative, have to mm-hmm. use open source. Uh, and so while I would love to spend time like debating threat, like detection methodologies, that kind of is like way, way too mature of a problem for me mm-hmm. right now. In some places, I just need to be able to detect anything. So like I need I need right. to get started and do some basic response and basic capture. Um, I don't really have time to put, like pontificate on like the best theory around it yet, um, and it it still amazes me to this day why um, some companies still like haven't done enough customer research to understand not everybody who's in the particular like financial services or insurance vertical will have this problem set. Like it has to be yeah. a certain level of maturity of organization, certain size. Um, of people and you have the way I I try to frame it up is like, like I don't have enough people to even care about this. It's not that I don't care. It's just, I can't, (laughs) I can't spread myself that thin um, to care about this. And that always takes them off uh, guard. Yeah. They're like, wait, 
does not compute. That I don't know. Yeah. There's that page is not in this playbook. He doesn't have <laughs> Snowflake or Splunk. What do I do now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's amazing how many said like well, oh, you clearly have Snowflake and you have you know, Active Directory and Azure and all these things, and so you'll <laughs> you'll easily be able to turn this on. I'm like I don't have you know we don't have two of those things uh, that are really important. Um, or uh, the often confusion look I'll get back is like, you mean to tell me you don't care about threat um, detections or threat intelligence in general? I'm like, no, of course I care about it. Um, but I can't care about it so much that I pay you a hundred grand a year to solve a very niche problem in addition yeah. to my other budget. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very, that's very real. All right. <laughs> over to you, George. I'm looking at things more from the practitioner side of things and, and how they can kind of get the best interaction out of their salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about the client side of things for a moment, how would you advise your selling organizations? I know you advise a lot of them uh, to help enable their prospects to actually execute on the purchase. And I'm mm-hmm. saying this because some sales cycles are obviously larger than others, depending right. on the price tag and the number of stakeholders involved with the sign off. So yeah. I wouldn't think that this is exactly a one size fits all kind of approach, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there too. Enterprise sales are totally different than small, medium business sales or startup sales in general. Um, You know, I think a lot of it has to, my default would be start with facts and start with uh, not like why you're the best at whatever solution you solve for, but, and, and also don't ask these broad questions of like, what are your cyber goals for the year? And then let them cherry pick which ones they can solve for you as well. Mm. Um, Cause like the last thing like practitioners want to do is just like repeat what their program goals are to every new, you know, vendor that pops up. Um, but I would say, yeah, start with, start with facts, start with trust driven, start with, um, you know, uh, what can be actually done, um, without interaction. And it, it's a challenging space to be in, like, because of so much of cyber is built on trust, but it's also, it's also a very small word of mouth community, um, mm-hmm. just in general, with as many practitioners as there are, like no matter which conference you go to, people are always asking, all right, who do you have for EDR? What about this, this MDR or the SIM? Or we like this person or we'd like this group over this other one. And so a lot of it is going to be like driven in that regard as well. So any way you can like encourage that kind of word of mouth sharing or like solving those like problems. I think, uh, you know, example of a company does this really well, safe base, you know, they're like, they have like, after you, uh, use their product. They have like a little way to, you can share how much you like them on LinkedIn. Like it's very simple, but it's actually, it's very useful as well. Um, cause you, you have something kind of a lead behind. So I think that's kind of nice, but it's also something that's a public facing product. So like the challenge will be not everything can be shareable in a consumable external format mm-hmm. that you can just show like, yeah. here's the results, you know, but you know what you're, you're hitting the nail on the head because for me, like I go with like, I'll, I'll spend what limited time I have in a week to do public research or like what's the emerging tech kind of what are the mm-hmm. new campaigns. Um, but you know, I rely heavily on the networks of other CISOs that I've gotten to know over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And I have like some of these group chats, man. It's just yeah, like, yeah. literally it's just like, Hey dude, so I need to like, I need to go through this type of audit or does it yeah. have any service firms that aren't, you know, X yeah. people that work with Google or whatever it is. Yep. <laughs> um, so like, can you help me get some technology? And based on those recommendations, those will be the short list. So even yeah. before any prospect talks to me, I'm yep. reaching out to the prospect being like, I already know you're good. Now I need you to perform. Yeah. 100% agree on that too. And it's the salespeople are actually like the, the tip of the spear for your organization, good, bad, or otherwise. And so like that experience with the salesperson or like a, a qualifying session is what they'll carry with them to those CISO group chats and say, 
no, we don't like them. Or yeah, we like them a lot. This person's really cool and reasonable um, and and helpful on this front. So it's, I think uh, it's a delicate balance by by all means. Um, but it's it's definitely you know treating the other side with like respect and also like not not sacred, but like just being transparent with them as well um, goes a long ways. I would say. Yeah, I like what you talked about that sales interaction, right? I was just saying the other day that every interaction is an opportunity to either build trust or squander it. And you can really think about that before you hit send on like 5,000 Zoom info people dumped <laughs> into like a generic cadence, right? Yes. And so this company that keeps hitting you up for Windows-based whatever, right? They're kind of like missing the point. And right. it's not that they've like torched the territory, but you're just like, no, I don't really take you seriously because you don't take me seriously. Yeah. Right. And that's like enough to just like not get mentioned in the, in the chat. But I think exactly. that really springs from this culture, which we're going to live with for a long time, which were you talking about pre 2022 of like ramp the sales, then find product mm. market fit, yep. treat everyone like a number. So that brings me to this point changing financial environment like radically different which also i got some hard feelings about because it's not like we didn't know the interest rate hikes were coming <laughs> i mean they pretty much said like yeah. hey this is coming this is coming and then suddenly everyone was surprised right least of all <laughs> silicon valley bank r.i.p um so clearly it has affected vc markets and yep. capital liquidity like it's harder to get funded um, but I want to focus on the companies now because you and I had a little bit of this conversation at Black Hat. So if you can't scale rapidly and you can sort of, you know, operate in the red because you're just sort of going after ARR and valuations based on that, how do you see the end of the zero interest rate period, which I love calling ZERP? ZERP. How do you see the <laughs> end of that impacting how companies operate today? Like what is the, what is the the change in the culture going to have to be to adapt to that? Yeah, I would say the the change will be pretty stark for a lot of SaaS based businesses and a lot of these software driven businesses in that traditionally, you know, I would say for the past 10 or so years, even prior to 2022, uh, it was not uncommon to just continue to dump money into a, a company that never broke even. Mm -hmm. And that was the model of growth. Every time you get close, let's ramp up another round of funding so we can go to the next tier or go to the next milestone or create the next product or feature. Um, and that's still largely how like the industry works, but getting the okay on the check and the, and the, and the release yeah. of the money has become much, much harder because money is more expensive for everybody. Um, and so there's been a, you know, a giant cascade effect of, um, VCs don't want to invest just yet because uh, I would say the momentum investors are the ones who who just you know, would like to jump on, maybe aren't specialists in cybersecurity. Um, they needed a place for returns to go. Cybersecurity was hot. Let's go invest in that. Those those same tourist investors are uh, are now deep into AI and, and any kind <laughs> of like computer yeah. chips and quantum and things like that, and they'll always kind of waver. Um, but the ones who've been specialists in it have been a lot more discerning about their capital, and which means uh, they may follow on, but they, it'll take a lot more time. You have to have a lot more traction, uh, and you'll have to see more sound financial mechanics of a company that you wouldn't expect. Uh, whereas you want the companies want to be cash flow positive now, like you're actually mm -hmm. measured by how much runway yep. you have left in the bank now. Um, 
a, a mnemonic I've heard or like a, a, a phrase I've heard uh, many times recently is survive to 25 is what everybody wants mm. to do. So if you can show me you've got that runway and then you have a plan to then ramp up after 25, which is when many economists and which is way above my head, but this is people who believe that like there will yeah, be yeah. signs of a, of a bettering, more normalizing uh, kind of macroeconomic situation that then you can then ramp back up with some of the, some of the old ways, but it's, it's changed in a way in that, and there's, there's many memes about it too. It's like all of a sudden VCs are like, well, hold on, this company has to be profitable. Uh, it has to be a well-run company first, not just like take money. Uh, and, uh, so now for the first time people are having to like run their business more efficiently, which is why you saw, you know, many layoffs and many operational changes and cuts. And, um, and so I think, you know, that piece has like changed dynamically on the vendor side and then, but you have to remember the exact same dynamic is happening on the customer side. So now mm -hmm. customers don't have as much money to spend on your products. Um, you know, hiking five to seven to 10% a year on your annual renewal, not going to fly anymore, at least for yeah. a short time, um, because they're strapped for the cash for the exact same reason. They have the exact same crunch crisis, uh, exact same amount of layoffs uh, and a quick reconciliation of like financial metrics. Because they they're yeah. financial backers the same way, you know, if it's a if it's a VC backed company, um, so everyone's gone back to more of a due diligence, more of a thoughtful time and and execution around what do you what software do you bring in house at all versus what do you do yourself versus what mm -hmm. do you outsource? And so well, that's I think, interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding like the budgetary game now because we're on the year end and, and I'm mm -hmm. going through that exercise that CISOs all love. Um, and it's a game of sacrifice where it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, these are our overall revenue numbers for the year. This is what we're projecting for next year. This is your piggy bank. And I know your priorities are, you know, A to F or whatever, where you're going to have to sacrifice two of them. Right? Yep. And it's not like they're off the table altogether, but we have to meet certain revenue goals mm -hmm. for these to become in play again. So you have to go through that shell game where like, I might've even gone through POC testing with one of the vendors or a couple of vendors. I have. I'd gotten some stand up conversations because like, hey, we were hoping to execute. Right. But especially if you're in a private equity held business where you're impacted by commercial performance on a weekly or monthly basis, those decisions end up kind of coming down your throat. And you as like the security shop lead, you, you can only you can only do what the business will allow you to do. And I think similar to the perspective on the on the sales side, if they start trying to gut you too much at renewal time, there are so many competitors emerging now that it's just easy mm -hmm. to ditch yeah. you if you don't want to play ball. And I find it weird that like some sellers don't seem to get that. Like they're not actually like, like there's always, there's always a backup. We'll find someone who's maybe, you know, 5% less effective than you, but they're giving us a $30,000 discount on yeah. like a $60,000 purchase. It adds up. It adds up. Right? Yeah. This is a, this is really I feel like it's really putting words to things that we have felt over the course of these conversations, which is like, look at this cultural inertia, right? Like you're saying operations have changed. Cash flow is important. Revenue is important. So like business changed almost overnight, mm -hmm. but we're going to live with the cultural. I mean, how many sellers are out there having been trained at these playbooks mm -hmm. and ramps? It's like, that is going to take a really long time to, change and like those muscles to adapt to this new environment because you know george has always said you should be playing for the renewal not the year one signature right and so like 
it used to be like maybe you could do this playbook because you were just running the numbers game and you might have customers that churn, but it was okay because you had enough pipeline to back it up. Yeah, churn yeah. is like death right now. Right? Churn is death. And honestly, the net revenue retention of like what customers can you get to continue to sign up is a mm-hmm. huge factor for VCs right now because that shows, oh, you still have a healthy business. You weren't just doing some funny funny deals on year one to get numbers and logos on the board, you actually got them to sign up again. Um, and you're absolutely right too, in that there is this strange dynamic. And like, I've seen companies take one of two paths. They either, they say, all right, we get it. This is our, this, you're, you're within our target space. Let's either, let's waive the increase and let's just keep it flat year over year. I've had a couple of injuries of that, which has been awesome. Cause then that's easy story to go back to your finance mm-hmm. team and say, look, no change. And everybody likes that. Cause I mean, thousands of dollars matter at this point for yeah. a lot of organizations, you mm-hmm. know, which you, which, you know, might've been a write-off, you know, a year before. Um, but then other companies are just saying, actually it's not cost effective for us to even serve this market anymore. The small market, mm-hmm. let's just go enterprise. Let's just go all in on that enterprise motion. And then, yeah, it'll take longer, but we can charge, you know, five to 10 X more. And so they, by doing that, they, they shrink their customers, their logos, but they can get bigger ones. And, the, there's inertia kind of no matter where you go in this space, but um, especially in, in like concentrations of uh, companies. So like, you know, all the financial services companies want to know what banks are using what, and they all mm-hmm. want to be a part of that list because it's like a, it's like a peer comparison thing. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of momentum in saying like, Oh, you use that too. Yeah, we should use that. Um, yeah. That's just like outside of the other factors. Nice. Perfect. Um, yeah. So I think, oh wait, I actually have to ask a proper question because like George was right. Like we totally got like sidetracked there. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> That's that was, that was good. It's good inside baseball, dude. Um, but yeah, speaking of logos, um, take a look at you before this interview. Like uh, you've worked at some pretty big ones, man. Uh, you know, especially saw Wells Fargo out there. I think I saw what MetLife in there as well. Um, you know, especially early in your career. How valuable would you say coming into this now is like a I don't want to say washed out, but we'll say a retired executive, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming in from the SecOps side, did, did that help you, did that help make you a more effective CISO and now a thought leader in our industry? And, and I, and I ask this because I find there's a world of a difference dealing with CISOs who have a SecOps background versus those who don't like, I, and I'm an operator from, from my base. So like I speak operator language, right? I got the same anger as like an analyst hasn't slept in fucking four nights because you're working nights. <laughs> I totally get that. Uh, yes, yes. I I can't deal with pure GRC CISOs oftentimes or like yeah. MBAs who get hired into CISO roles. Do you think it really matters that folks actually have operational experience? Yeah, no, I, I truly do believe it has uh, a huge importance on operational experience. And there's this interesting phenomenon that we could probably have a whole separate podcast on about the larger the company, the more they will often uh, like the executive teams will go and try to find a GRC based CISO uh, because the Mm. optics and the game you're playing at that level is completely different than what you might be playing at a smaller company um, or um, maybe not a public company or a less regulated company. Um, And so there is a certain mold that needs to be fit to, to fill like a persona to fill that role. Um, but the truth is like a lot of those companies too, like they have massive teams and they will almost always hire, you know, several right-hand people who are super operationally efficient and 
you know, project management, SecOps, yeah. you know, you name it, engineering, they'll find someone to kind of strengthen them out. But if they don't have that backing or if they don't have those right hand people to support them, then it's it's really hard to get the right level of risk conveyed, in my opinion, to the uh, uh, to the regulators or to the executive board about why you should do something. Um, because you can actually one, you can call BS if you need to. I'm like, well, that, you know, this is not that big of a deal. Or you can say, actually, this is a huge deal. Here's why, and here's what this actually maps to, and here's how we can reduce that risk, and here's how we can, uh, you know, make our tax service smaller. So I, I think it's, I think it's super important. And you know, I've always, I've always thought like a person who's good in the CISO role, uh, they can kind of operate on a pendulum. Like they can swing down low when they need to, mm. obviously not low as like a, a, as an, as a tier, you know, one, two or three analyst or like your, your, your deepest engineer or your threat intelligence people, but they can listen to those people and take their advice and then know how to translate it back up the other way, the other side of the pendulum and say, all right, things on information on the ground is different. Let's do this now. Let's go this way. And I think if not having that ability, it's uh it's very challenging and, and and truthfully some of the best leaders like I've worked for have been have been good at that and knowing when to lean on which side or the other um, but it's it, it's it's definitely a, a strong point for me yeah I find uh, the ability to translate ops to business and vice versa has been uh, kind of a huge catalyst in my own career and that comes from the army because that we did the same thing I was an ex siginter and um, you know, you're taking extremely sensitive technical information and battle captain says you got 30 seconds or less. Are we taking this road or not? Right. Are we mm. walking away from an ambush or not? And it's the same, not the same life or death logic, but like the same kind of pressure where it's like, Hey, C-suite or the board wants an answer. You have a program, you have a team of guys who, you know, they want to know you have their back and you kind of have to juggle how you communicate that. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all of that helps too, about like communicating, like what your program is trying to do. And then how, and then that then translates into how much money am I be, will be able to ask for and how will I be able to then use those, that money. And like, it's, it's super important to be able to show how you'll use that allocation of capital and be kind of thoughtful with it as well. Um, and, and truthfully, many times in my, in my career, and like I've walked into programs and I've I've said, I'm not going to spend all that money right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to learn a lot in this space. I'm going to spend some here and then I'm going to sit on this for a while because I don't know that we need it. And so like I want I want to learn first for a while. Uh, and I found that's that's really good because um, it's not often that security teams say I don't need extra. No, so it's, <laughs> it's, but like I'm, I go back to like I want to make sure I'm using it well and that it's actually thoughtfully uh, rolled into process and procedures and that we actually have a way to support this uh, from a people standpoint as well um, before we kind of go further because you know more, more tools with the same amount of people doesn't always mean greater success uh, and well, so especially that, if they're <laughs> they're sitting unconfigured on your shelf for the most part but that's a whole other, right. that's a whole other problem yeah, absolutely like, Wait, more software isn't the answer <laughs> <laughs> As much as AI wants it to be, it's not it's not the only answer, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did that recent poll in your newsletter where it was pretty clear that CISOs wanted more people, fewer tools mm -hmm. versus more tools, fewer people. Um, yeah, this has been this has been really helpful to, I think, flesh things out. And I think to any of the vendors listening, you know, what you said, Mike, is translating to the business right so it's not enough to say like gain visibility here or mm -hmm. reduce time to tech what does 
that reduction of detection time mean operationally to the business or how does mm-hmm. it like reduce the overall risk, et cetera, and so forth. Right. Um, cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back for brass tacks. How would you advise practitioners to focus on their program planning given the never-ending pipeline of newly emerging suppliers? Like the old saying, you never get fired for buying IBM. (laughs) I don't think that logic applies any longer, no? Yeah, wow, it's so funny. Actually, I just wrote that in a a post I'm writing on, like nobody ever gets fired for buying IBM. Um, (laughs) uh, I I would say that mentality is probably um, still probably important in some larger organizations, but it's really like organizational dependent. but one, like you have to, it's important for everybody to pay what, pay attention to what's happening outside externally. So like, it's not enough to just kind of say like, I'm just going to go deep into just threat intelligence news. Like it's, you have to have kind of a well-rounded picture. And so there's, I mean, there's innumerable, innumerable sources we have around that are just free, like newsletters, podcasts, um, YouTube channels. There's so many great things you can do to just kind of stay aware of what's happening in your world. And then that, you know, all of that information, like consuming that every week will help you keep your mind fresh and also help you realize like, oh, wait, maybe I can apply this at my organization. Maybe I should talk to somebody about this. But if you're not constantly kind of like taking in some of the huge amount of information out there, I think you're, you're missing out. Um, and, and to be honest, I think it's important also to look kind of even outside, um, of your space. And that's, that's kind of how it led me to being interested into the financial aspects of, of the security industry mm. in general is I just started paying attention a lot more to macro economic things. And I'm like, this has ramifications for everybody. And, and I wanted to learn more about that. And that's kind of how it kind of led me to that. Especially think about you have, you took a chance on a new SaaS startup and it's like in your environment and it like, blows up or winds down or enrons one day and you're like yeah. okay it's funny i was just talking to another friend of mine a friend in sales and um he's like gonna start a job in a new shop and um that shop handles uh like something we'll say very traditional blue team component and right? i mm-hmm. want to out them they're a startup as well and he asked me so he's like hey as a CISO, is this like random base level thing important to you and it's like I mean, it is, but it's kind of like it's basic network infrastructure kind of dynamic. So like mm-hmm. I have a provider for that. They're like best in class. I'm not going to shift. Yeah. yeah. Unlikely like, to change. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, but they're trying to like see like how, how much like a potential buyer would have an appetite for them. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. I mean, I'm sure the company's exciting. I'm sure the people you interviewed are like super cool, but like, don't know how good that takeoff is going to be in that space because, uh, you know, George, I I think you saw the same thing at at Black Hat this year. Traditional security suppliers, it's a pretty saturated market. Yeah, there's this delicate balance, right? I mean, there's this flavor of disruption or whatever, but the large, big problems are where, especially when budgets tighten, where you got to focus. And so like the tiny niche players, it wasn't this RSA, it was the one before the whole back row was like passwordless vendors, <laughs> none of which were there the next year, right? It was like so niche. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, how much money is there for that really? Or how much priority, I guess, is the the better question. Um, and then if right. you go too big and you're like, okay, well, instead of like 
MDM. I'm going to go like this really broad data encryption, whatever. Well, then you start running into like the bigger players that just have those features built yeah. into, you know, so it's a delicate balance. But this is this is sort of related to my next question, which is given your buyer perspective and given what we talked about in terms of a change in sales and ramp models, what would you tell, what would you advise startups to focus their energies on today? Because I know I would tell them, like, stop trying to double your sales team, but I don't know if you have different, <laughs> different advice. Yeah, I, I would say uh, that's probably a good rule of thumb. Like, don't don't start with, like, doubling your sales team as first. Is be a lot more crystal clear. Uh, talk to a lot more customers, number one, and like, or mm. potential customers, and actually find out, like, how close are you to really to product market fit? And then uh, find out if you're a feature or a, or a product itself. Because mm, yeah, yeah. ma- many startups I talked to at very early stage, I'm like, someone's just going to turn that on eventually. Like Sneaker, like Google, they're just going to say, mm-hmm. oh, we, and we do this. And then you're you're <laughs> yeah. useless after that um, as a niche player. And, you know, it's, it's always kind of the, the external threat for me, like the large incumbent players. But it's, 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 uh, it's an interesting market in that like, some overlap can exist, but if you're if you're very specialized, then you can become a good acquisition target. You can become you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about how how are you positioning? Like if your goal is to as a as an early stage company to knock Palo Alto off its block, probably not going to happen yeah. anytime yeah. soon. Same with CrowdStrike and others. Like, uh, but if your goal is to then um, highlight or add features to like you know maybe one of the larger platform companies. Uh, that doesn't have something and that you solve it very well, um, then that's, and you position yourself to be part of a larger platform ecosystem and be acquired that way. That's a good thing to kind of focus on. And I think that, you know, that also speaks a bit to, you know, some of the, some of the uh, startup founder feelings around what does success at at a, at a startup look like now? Um, It used to be, you know, it's the VC go big or go bust IPO model only was success. Um, and I think a lot more people are realizing that, Hey, you, you can have a, you know, 20 to 30 million ARR business, um, and serve a lot of customers and do very well, um, and then become acquired. And that's a really good outcome for the founders and the early employees. Um, so I'd say you make sure you, you're clear on where you're at. Um, yeah. and cause you see a lot of companies now that are just getting acquired, um, that took in massive amounts of money and, but they they probably got acquired because they have very little of that money left and they didn't do, do yeah. a great job of like capturing the market because they were a feature that someone else just turned on. It reminds mm-hmm. me of um, you know, like last week's, uh, last week, week before um, Atlassian acquiring uh, Loom. Yep. And just integrating that into their platform. And you're kind of like, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool for Jira. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, that, and I think that was, who knows if the valuation was kind of worth it, but it was kind of good tests into, into public markets again. And, um, but it's, it's, that's a great one. That's a great add on as opposed mm-hmm. to like, like Loom wasn't also doing ticket management or like yeah. you know, Kanban boards. Yeah. This will actually well, also, enhance those things. <laughs> and a- acquisition is going to favor those with cash on hand, right? Because it, you can't get like the steep valuation and then someone's going to go out and get a zero interest loan to do acquisition, right? They're just not going to do that anymore. Yeah. So, so that actually, George brings up a good point for my next question is where do you see the trend going in terms of, uh, you know, potential return for an appetite to invest in new security technologies and teams? Like, I mean, when do you predict the recessionary impacts of the global economy 
will stop limiting the ability of practitioners to push to buy or push to hire again? I would say we're probably rounding the bend on that, generally speaking. So uh, we were in the we were in the trough of disillusionment, like the bottom and like <laughs> yeah. the rest of 2022 and most of 2023. Uh, but even as interest rates rise, like if you kind of look at like the, like the the heads of finance around the world, like the U.S. federal uh, uh, the Fed economy and um, like the you know the European Central Bank and things like that, like the moves they make influence how everyone else feels and how it mm. influences public markets and how they respond. Um, and then you start seeing cracks of light through maybe this company goes IPO, uh, maybe this company takes a down round, but it's uh, it's only a little bit of a haircut. And so it's actually pretty good. And so you start seeing people, you start seeing some of those little sprouts of like grass shoot up through like the, the cyber winter. I just made that term up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I dig it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, see, so you, you, you saw some of that. And now, um, you know, some of the companies who like, were kind of, you know, not thriving as well, have either kind of quietly gone away or they're, they're getting acquired or they're, I think Q4 is going to be a buying spree on, on that front mm-hmm. um, because companies are just going to be like, okay, you're just about cheap enough now to buy. Yeah. And fire like, sale. <laughs> but yeah. Some of them unfortunately will be, but, but I think, uh, you know, now that, um, you know, I think if we get a couple quarters away from the, like the hype of that, and you, what you'll see is it like a disconnect between like what the Fed says, the U.S. Fed says, and how the public markets react. And if it's as long as that that reaction is small enough, then people will start opening up again, effectively, uh, and and the businesses will start investing again. So you've you've seen some companies who have laid off people who then you know six months later have said, actually we need we do need that project manager again, and they post mm-hmm. another role, and so they're starting to kind of slowly build back up, but they're all companies of all industries are going through that 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 financial tightening process and the operational efficiency process and that the fine tooth comb overview of the CFO office. Uh, and so some will do much better than others, like healthcare and manufacturing are having a tear in a good way right now. Um, others are not doing as well. Um, yeah, I so always like to see yeah. the uh, the big tentpole conferences as the bellwether. Right. Mm-hmm. Like some of the companies that have like the giant, enormous booth at the bottom of the escalators <laughs> at RSA, even though they yeah. bought it two years ago, sometimes they end up in a smaller booth because they renegotiated in there somewhere in the expo mm-hmm. hallway or something. Yeah. Just, there's like a, and no one's talking about it. It's totally like everyone's quiet about it, but you can kind of see which way the wind is blowing. Well, you can see who's yeah. driving and who's not. That's for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And I think um, it also says something too, like we'll start seeing uh, more qualified buys and hiring, meaning like now that like the trusted advisor, or the outside firm's opinion may actually mean more than it used to prior to today. So like mm-hmm. the, the analyst firms, the gardeners, the forces of the world, they may not mean something to a certain size of company or a growing size of companies, but like the big ones who have more capital at stake, who have more impact at stake, they're going to be leaning on those companies even a lot more now to make smarter, better informed decisions and say, actually, your security team should be this many span of control, this many functions. We've seen other companies do it like this. And this, these are the tech they're buying to get you more of that platform feel. Um, but I'd say like the long answer or the short answer, I'd say probably like another two to three quarters where we start seeing like, uh, I don't think we'll ever return to normal, but I think it'll it will become 
you know, a little bit easier to operate. We do. We don't need to turn into cyber Vegas, but it'd be nice to just be able to have a predictable budget cycle. Yeah. Like hire people again. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I think that really answers. My last question was going to be, is there anything that you see in the macro market level that you think individual companies miss kind of the forest for the trees? But I feel like that really answers it. And I think now the real target is how do you change the culture to meet new operational demands? I am just convinced that's going to be a lot of bad habits that are hard to unlearn because I think that they're holding out for normal. But I think if yeah. quote unquote normal is closer to now, like mm-hmm. the companies that win out are the ones that build that trust and like kind of build a different playbook. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the companies who do succeed now are going to be like much stronger for that for the long haul because of it too. But I mean, even just looking at some of the metrics kind of across the board, like early stage funding has dropped probably about 20, 10 to 20%, like mm-hmm. from like kind of its peak in like 2021, 2010 and But there's still just as many transactions. So it's still happening. Investment's yeah, still happening. It's just at a, a more refined clip um, in the early stage. But then that growth stage, that series B to series C range where that's when you actually ramp up that sales engine like tremendously, or you may go look to do a strategic acquisition. Um, those are having the hardest time right now because either you're like across the chasm or you're not ready for it yet. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to really put their money in that spot now. Um, but and then later stages are getting kind of like lifelines and debt and debt rounds to, to kind of continue on their operations um, or then to the possibly make more strategic acquisitions as well. So um I think we'll still see the squeeze in that mid that mid life cycle range of companies, um, but I think you know the I always equate the um, you know people always talk about the consolidation of the cyber market and like oh it's you know it's finally happening we're finally going to get rid of a bunch of vendors and we're finally going to have platforms and um, I to my opinion is this is just a small blip in the wave of like of mm-hmm. how the the ecosystem works. Like instead of a consolidation, I think about it more like an accordion that kind of like goes like this. Oh, nice. And so we're just seeing a compression now. But then you'll see, as you've seen with all the AI security companies that pop up, like waves of innovation starts shooting up. And like they're mm-hmm. going to, that's always going to happen. Well, it's we'll funny never. you say that because I've, I've been noticing a little trend the last, I'd say, month or so. Companies that are startups that are founded by ex startup founders who have already made like a, an exit from a previous one or two firms. And they're self-funding and they're not even dealing with the VCs. Like they're going to try to ride it out until they get to like a series B level or series C level capacity if they get there. But I think in the early phases now, nobody really wants to rely on external capital anymore. They want to do what they can do themselves. And enough folks have made all these startups and sold that I think the capital is out there. I don't know if you're seeing that on your end. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and and people do, I mean, bootstrapping is, is the way to go. If you can just sell and you have customers, like that's the, that's the best way of any business to run, like without needing outside capital. Um, and then a lot of people don't want to take capital if they don't have quite as much traction because just terms aren't great. Like you yeah. can't get anywhere near what you used to get. Um, and that's probably healthy on both sides, uh, honestly. Um, but it, it, you have, everyone's having to kind of reset expectations, reset exit multiples, reset, um, just liquidity preferences and all that stuff. And that, that's something that, um, you know, it's, it, those troubles go away when you start selling and actually making money. And then they come beating down your door and say, wait, can we give you more money to go faster? Um, so that it's still happening for the ones that are like hitting real traction. Um, and, uh, but, but honestly, if you can just do it without it, then. Yeah, you should do it without it. 
<laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Mike, this has been, I mean, I feel like we could nerd out on financial markets <laughs> of all things for a while. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you very much. And to anyone who has not read the security funded newsletter, it's pretty incredible. You do an enormous amount of analysis in a very <laughs> short span. I feel like there's a lot of work and a lot of haiku there. Like I, I, res- I respect that artistry. I would rather Thank read you. your work than subscribe to a big garden because like I just can't afford it. Yes, <laughs> so, uh... love that. No, I appreciate that. It's great. Um, all right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for taking time out of your evening and talking with us. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. That's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, share it with one friend or post it on social. It helps others find the show. New episodes of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks drop every Monday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's kind of triggering, man, because I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) see flashbacks. (laughs) All I I can laugh at is like I've gotten people giving me entire pitches before on like Windows-based products or a Mac Mm. shop. And I just wait for them to like really, really build up their fucking oompa. And I feel like (laughs) we run on Mac here. And just like the room deflates. And I'm like, cool, I'm I'm going to go to the washroom now. So I've been waiting for like half an hour. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I have a popular MDR that hits me up every three, four months. And I'm like... Just a reminder, we're 100% Mac. Like, oh, right, right, right. Okay. And then the, the next SDR picks me up like six months later. They're like, hey, 